This is the book of the law related to, primarily to religious worship. We talk about the law of God that God gave to the children of Israel there at Mount Sinai, 1500 B.C. He brought the people of promise, the descendants of Abraham, the 12 tribes of Israel, out of Egypt. And he brought them to Mount Sinai, where there he entered into the covenant with them, with Moses being the mediator of that covenant. And as God gave Moses the law on top of the mountain, he gave him the moral law, the Ten Commandments. He gave him the civil law, how to be guided and governed as a nation with the laws of the land, with the people under covenant, an ethnic group, no less, being their own nation as well. And then he gave them the religious law, how to be worshipped. And as we come to Leviticus, we get a lot of the religious law. And particularly tonight as we pick it up, with the different offerings, we get the religious law. So as we get into these offerings tonight, there's different offerings, and you'll see tonight they have a different purpose. Everything God does has a purpose. It's an order, you know, most of our planets go this way in the solar system, but at least one goes that way. African animals look like they have purpose, and then you have a platypus in Australia, right? There's always a purpose for everything that God does, and with the animal sacrificial system, there's a lot of details to it. And as we look at it, in its context of when it was given, we want to keep in mind, and we mentioned this last week, with the book of Hebrews, we're told in the New Testament that sheds light and interprets this book for us that the blood of bulls and goats cannot deliver us fully from sin. We're also told, both in the Old and New Testament, that the wages of sin is death. And so to deal with sin, there must be a sacrifice for sin. And there in the book of Genesis, we saw in chapter 4, where Abel brought us an offering to the Lord from his flock. And it was a lamb, and it had blood, and it was sacrificed. And God accepted it because it came in faith, and it came with blood. Cain brought an offering of vegetables from his garden without faith, and God did not accept it. And we're told that without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission or forgiveness of sins. This is important to keep in mind as we get to the animal sacrifices, which we're going to get to in just a moment. Also, we saw last week, there's that beautiful Ark of the Covenant with the gold and the mercy seat that only one person sees once a year, the high priest, when he goes in the Holy of Holy. And then we talked about that bronze altar where they do the animal sacrifices. It's a bloody, messy business. Animal sacrifices all day long just to, to make atonement, forgiveness for the sins of the people. And it was a messy business. And so tonight we come to that. And all this stuff, this is what we would be doing right now if it were not for Jesus Christ coming, dying on the cross for our sins, the perfect acceptable sacrifice who died once for all to enter into the holy place before the Father and ever lives to intercede for us as our great high priest. So keep that in mind as we go through these sacrifices tonight, these offerings. And these are short chapters. And as you go through Leviticus, there's segments, there's topical clusters. And so this first cluster are these five different offerings. And We'll be going through this like we did with Exodus. There's a fair bit of text, but not too much. And what's neat is you'll see the distinction of each of the offerings and how they apply to, to how they apply contextually to them, but how they apply to us tonight. The Church of Jesus Christ on July 7th, 2020, part two of this amazing year going forward, the second half of the year. We pick it up in verse one. Now the Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tabernacle of meeting, saying... Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When any of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of livestock, of the herd of the flock. If his offering is a 
burnt sacrifice of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish. He shall offer it of his own free will at the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord. Then he shall put his hand on the head of the burnt offering and it will be accepted on his behalf to make atonement for him. He shall kill the bull before the Lord and the priest Aaron's sons shall bring the blood and sprinkle the blood all around the altar that is by the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And he shall skin the burnt offering and cut it in pieces. The sons of Aaron the priest shall put fire on the altar and they lay the wood in order on the fire. Then the priest Aaron's sons shall lay the parts, the head, the fat in order on the wood that is on the fire upon the altar. He shall wash its entrails, its legs with water. And the priest shall burn all the altar if his offering is of the flock of the sheep or the goats. As a burn sacrifice, he shall bring a male without blemish. He shall kill it on the north side of the altar before the Lord and the priest, Aaron's sons, shall sprinkle its blood all around the altar. He shall cut it in its pieces with its head and its fat. And the priest shall lay them in order on the wood that is on the fire upon the altar. But he shall wash the entrails and legs with water. Then the priest shall bring it all and burn it on the altar. It is a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. And if the burnt sacrifice of his offering to the Lord is of a bird, then he shall bring an offering of turtle doves or young pigeons. The priest shall bring it to the altar, wring off its head, burn it on the altar. Its blood shall be drained out of the side of the altar, and he shall remove its crop with its feathers and cast it aside beside the altar on the east side into the place for ashes. Then he shall split it at its wings, but shall not divide it completely. And the priest shall burn it on the altar, on the wood that is on the fire. It is a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. And this is the beginning here in chapter 1 of this cluster of offerings, beginning with the burnt offering. Let me say this, and you all know this about me, especially if you were here when I was teaching Genesis. I really like animals. I've got two dogs, a cat, and three guinea pigs. I've always enjoyed animals. I will rescue spiders out of my house. Flies must die. You know that. Flies must die. But I will rescue spiders. They get at least one attempted rescue. It's a a catch and release program in our home. And I just, I don't like to watch anything die. I I rescue roly-polies from my grandkids when they find them in the backyard. And I just believe that everything's created with order. And I believe when all this chaos is done of time, space, and matter, and there's a new heaven and a new earth, that there is no more suffering, there is more, no more tears, and there is no, no more death. But unfortunately, from the beginning of the fall in the garden, there is death. And the, the day you eat from this tree, you'll die. And the wages of sin is death. And death is a messy, ugly, horrible business. Most of us have watched people die, and it's a very hard thing to watch. We watch animals die. It's a very hard thing to watch. It's a, a horrible thing. To, to, we often have more empathy on animals dying than humans dying because animals generally aren't against us as much as human beings can be. But nonetheless, death reigns, and it reigns over the entire universe because in Adam all sin and in Adam all die. Death is a messy business. So as we go through Leviticus and we deal with death and substitutionary death, animals for our sins, and if we find it... Uh, queasy or uh, uncomfortable or squeamish, good. Because Jesus on the cross should make us squeamish and uncomfortable. There is nothing redeemable apart from Christ redeeming us for our sin. Sin is sin. Sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. It always brings forth death. 
And without the grace of Jesus Christ and the blood of Jesus Christ, there can be nothing good that ever comes from our sin. And it seems to me personally, I'm sharing from my own heart, when I read about animals and animal sacrifices, and I even try and imagine sacrificing any animal like this, it's so hard for me to wrap my mind around it that I'm repulsed and a bit offended by it personally in my initial response. And I have to channel that emotion to the reality that that's just how offensive my sin is. Like if it offends me, the cute little sheep or cute little goat at the McEwen's ranch out there in Temecula or the sheep in the hills of Newquay, England, where my kids were chasing the sheep in the field a few years back, if, if I had to grab that and, and, and execute that and have to put my hands on it to identify my sins to that sheep and then watch these priests kill it, that, that's very repulsive to me. Well, that's nothing compared to God's love of the world that he gave his son to die on the cross for us. And we need to keep that in mind. For the blood of bulls and goats can never cleanse us from our sins, nor can a righteous man die for an unrighteous man or woman. But only Christ, who's God, could be the acceptable sacrifice for our consequence of eternal death in sin in Adam. So keep that in mind. So with this first offering, this burnt offering, as this animal is dismembered and barbecued for sin, this offering is interesting because it's a, did you catch it? Well, there's some distinctions. It had to be a male. So in this offering, the burnt offering, it has to be a male. can't be a male or female. It has to be a male. Of course, they all have to be without blemish. Don't bring blemished offerings to the Lord because Jesus is the lamb without blemish. It's a male without blemish. But did you catch the key word that someone brings it upon their own free will? It's a free will offering. This is not a have-to offering. This is a choose-to offering. This is a choose-to offering, and it can be sheep or goat and even birds. But it is your choice to bring it. So you don't have to bring this offering. This is you on your own volition and will saying, you know what, I love the Lord so much, and I, I just want to show the Lord how much I love him. I want to just uh, build an altar, if you will. I want to make a sacrifice that's a free will where it's just my act of devotion out of choice to the Lord that I'm choosing to do. It's a free will offering. It's not a have to, it's a get to. Now, when we think of application in the church age, what a free will offering looks like, it's when you make yourself available for things that you just want to do because it's above and beyond what you might want to do. It could be extra financial offering. It could be extra time offering. Back in the day when Pastor Chuck was bringing, building Green Valley, he used to get the men who were carpenters and say, fellas, if you want to go work for a day and we'll do this. And they didn't get compensated. They were fed food. But it was a free will offering. They joyfully gave of themselves a full day of their labor and their skills to do things. It's a lot like Doctors Without Borders, ministries like that, Samaritan's Purse. Like when Franklin Graham was at Central Park in New York City at the COVID outbreak, he wasn't being compensated to be there. The mayor wasn't paying him. The governor wasn't paying him to be there. He came there as an ambassador of Christ with the goodwill and the resources that people have given to his ministry, including us, to serve people and to provide medical relief to the benefit of the citizens of New York City as a witness to the gospel of Christ. That's a free will offering. He's not there as a paid medical professional in some hospital in New York being the salary and the benefits of a doctor or nurse. The people that are working with him are there 
a free will offering. So that's the concept of a free will offering. So when you think about the burnt offering, it's a free will offering. You're getting, you're, you're getting burned, if you will. You're, it's being burned, but it's by choice because you're giving freely because you choose to. And so as we think about 2020, we might ask ourselves, what could be my free will offerings going forward in the second half of 2020? What are things that I can do with my time, my energy, my resources that I'm offering to the Lord? Now, we know in Romans 12 that we present ourselves as living sacrifices to the Lord. And we know we don't actually bring any animal sacrifices because Christ died once for all and he made the animal sacrificial system obsolete. But still, what am I bringing? What am I giving of myself to the Lord? You choose to give. Free will offering. Is it visiting somebody? Is it taking someone somewhere? Is it going out of your way for somebody? Like the free will offering is just think creatively and outside the box of bringing Christ and the gospel in a situation where it's it's what you want to do and it's how you want to serve and it's how you want to bless. It's unto the Lord. And you do it as unto the Lord. That's our free will offering. Now we read on in chapter 2, the grain offering. When anyone offers a grain offering to the Lord, his offering shall be of fine flour, and he shall pour oil and put frankincense on it. He shall bring it to Aaron's sons, the priest, the one whom shall take from his hand, and fine flour and oil with all the frankincense. And the priest shall burn it as a memorial on the altar, an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. The rest of the grain offering shall be Aaron's and his sons. It is most holy offering to the Lord by fire. And if you bring it as an offering, a grain offering baked in the oven, it shall be unleavened cakes of fine flour mixed with oil or unleavened wafers anointed with oil. But if your offering is a grain offering baked in a pan, it shall be a fine flour unleavened mixed with oil. You shall break it in pieces and pour oil on it. It's a grain offering. If your offering is a grain offering baked in a covered pan, it shall be made of fine flour with oil. You shall bring the grain offering that is made of these things to the Lord. And when it's presented to the priest, he shall bring it to the altar. Then the priest shall take from the grain offering a memorial portion, burn it on the altar. It is an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. And what is left of the grain offering shall be Aaron's and his sons. It is most holy of the offering to the Lord made by fire. No grain offering which you bring to the Lord shall be made with leaven, for you shall burn no leaven nor any honey in any of the offering to the Lord made by fire. As for the offering of the first fruits, You shall offer them to the Lord, but they shall not be burned on the altar for a sweet aroma. And every offering of your grain offering you shall season with salt. You shall not allow the salt of the covenant of your God to be lacking from your grain offering. With all your offerings you shall offer salt. If you offer a grain offering on your first fruits of the Lord, you shall offer the grain offering of your first fruits green heads of grain roasted on the fire. Grain beaten from full heads. And you shall put oil on it and lay frankincense on it. It is a grain offering. Then the priest shall burn the memorial portion, part of the beaten grain, part of its oil, with all the frankincense as an offering made by fire to the Lord. So here's the grain offering in chapter 2. And what's interesting about the grain offering is of these five here, this is the one that doesn't involve animals or blood, the grain offering. And there's a distinction. You caught that between your first fruits, like when you bring your first fruits, that's not going to bring your grain offering. You bring your first fruits because you bring your first fruits. Like we honor the Lord with the first fruits. We're actually told, like, honor the Lord, the first fruits of all your increase. And so for me personally, for over two decades now, whatever the Lord gives us, we just acknowledge right away from our first fruits, it goes to the Lord, the first fruits. And 
we know under the law and under the covenant, they're to bring the first fruits of their vegetables and the various things. We already covered that in Exodus, whatever opens the womb is mine. And so you redeem back your child or the first fruits of the animals. They were to the Lord. But this is the grain offering, so the, the fruits and the vegetables. So Cain offering his vegetable offering, which I referenced earlier in Genesis 4, it, it's not like there's not a place for that, but his didn't have faith, and it doesn't substitute for blood. This is a grain offering, and this also is a very specific thing, because if you notice with the grain offering, well, certainly it smells good, because you have the frankincense, the oil, and the grain. So it, it, it gave an aroma, a smell. Now, we also saw that with the burnt offering as well, is a sweet smell and aroma to the Lord. But this gives an aroma, that's the grain offering smell. But you notice something that makes this one distinct from the burnt offering. You'll see it right there in the second verse. We're told it is a memorial. It's a memorial offering. Okay, so the burnt offering is a free will offering. This one's a memorial offering. So a memorial offering is just that. It's a memorial. Now, we build memorials for various people, various things, various events. There's memorials. There's memorials. Like Duke Kwanamoko's in front of Huntington Surfing Sport, and that's a memorial to the father of surfing at Surf City USA. It's a memorial to the sport of surfing. There's a Duke statue down there in Waikiki you can go to as well. That's a memorial to the father of surfing, considered the father of surfing, because Duke, of course, was from Hawaii. He was the Aloha ambassador. He competed in the Olympics. He won a gold medal swimming in, uh, I think it was 16, in Antwerp, 1916. Actually, that was World War I, so it would have been 12, 2000, excuse me, 1912 or 1920. But he won his gold medal for USA, and he's considered that person. It's a memorial. There's a memorial. He's out there. It's a memorial to this guy, the father of surfing. So all the names in the Hall of Fame that are out front there of hunting, surfing, sport, those are memorials. Technically, like I've got one of them. So it's a memorial to my career. It's gonna, no one's going to remember it in due time. I mean, who remembers anything, right? As the Ecclesiastes say, one generation comes, and it leaves, another comes, and they don't remember what the other one did. So it doesn't matter. But those are memorials for this time. There's all kinds of statues, right, that are memorials for different things. When you go to London, there's statues everywhere that you see. When you go to Washington, D.C., you see statues. There's statues everywhere that you can see. And they're memorials to people or events or circumstances. If you go to, how many of you have been to Vietnam Memorial? Raise your hand high so I can see. Okay, that's plenty of people. That's a half dozen. Of course, I've been there with my father, which is very powerful because, of course, my dad's a Vietnam veteran and lost many friends in Vietnam. He actually goes to where the people he knows are on the wall that died in Vietnam. That's a memorial. Of course, they had the Korean Memorial. My dad served in Korea, so we saw the Korean Memorial. It is what it is. You know? So this is a memorial to the Lord that we make. So God gives us an opportunity to make a memorial to him in an offering through the grain offering. It's a memorial between us and him because a memorial is a memory to remember something. It's a memorial. So it's a, it's a memory of something between us and the Lord. So when you think of the memorial offering, we're going to give the grain offering because we just want to, God did something so special for us this year. What an incredible year it's been in our business, in our, in our family. We had the child was born to us, the grandchild, and we're just going to bring this huge grain offering to the priest because we want to make a memorial. We want to say, Lord, we remember and we honor what you did for us. And this is a memorial offering that we choose to make of our own free will because we want to forever remember how good you were to us in 2020. Like that's the idea behind the memorial offering. So again, as we go forward in 2020, part two, let us ask ourselves as a church in practical application, what is our memorial offering? 
It really is a place where we say, God, you did something really special for me in my life at this point. And it, it, just, it could be something you, you wrote in your journal. It could be something that you, again, like a fruit, like the burnt offering, you just chose to give as a memorial to thank the Lord. But it's something to remember God's faithfulness. Now, we just had our 15-year anniversary, and I talked a little bit about our history. We're coming up on 20 years as a ministry in September, October, and there's memories, 20 years of memories, and we're not going to unveil the plaque 20 years of WG or something like that, but that's the idea behind it. So when you think about memorial offering, don't come through 2020 without building something, uh, acknowledging a memorial of God's faithfulness to you in this very unusual year, in this very uncertain time. What has he done? What is he doing? What does he want to do? And to build a, a memorial to it, to build a memorial to it, something that we do in our life between us and the Lord by which we're never going to forget the Lord's faithfulness. It's a place, it's an event, it's something tangible where we say we're never going to forget what God did for us. I don't ever want to forget this. And if I have dementia and Alzheimer's or anything else by which I could forget things, I don't ever, ever want to forget what God did for me in this situation. The memorial offering, that's what the grain offering is. So the burnt offering is the free will, and the grain offering is the memorial, okay? We're giving distinctions because I want you to know the word of God. That's, God wants you to know the word of God. This is why it's in his word. So when people say like, I don't understand Leviticus. It's a mysterious book. No, it's not. We all understand in 2020 as followers of Jesus Christ, the choice to a free will to do something extra, and we understand the idea of a memorial to, to remember and recognize something real special God's done for us. Now we read on in chapter 3. When his offering is a sacrifice of peace offering, if he offers it of the herd, whether male or female, he shall offer it without blemish before the Lord, and he shall lay his hand on the head of his offering and kill it at the door of the tabernacle meeting. And Aaron's sons, the priest, shall sprinkle the blood all around the altar. Then he shall offer from the sacrifice of the peace offering an offering made by fire to the Lord. The fat that covers the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails, the two kidneys and the fat that is on them by the flanks, the fatty lobe attached to the liver above the kidneys, he shall remove. And Aaron's son shall burn it on the altar upon the burnt sacrifice, which is on the wood that is on the fire, as an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. It is an offering as a sacrifice, a peace offering to the Lord is of the flock, whether male or female, he shall offer it without blemish. If he offers a lamb as an offering, he shall offer it before the Lord. And he shall lay his hand on the head of his offering and kill it before the tabernacle meeting. And Aaron's son shall sprinkle its blood all around on the altar. Then he shall offer from the sacrifice of the peace offering an offering made by fire to the Lord. It, it's fat, the whole fat tail of which he removed close to the backbone, and the fat that covers the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails, the two kidneys, the fat is on them by the flanks, the fatty lobe attached, the liver above the kidneys, he shall remove, and the priest shall burn them on the altar as food and offering by fire to the Lord. And if the offering is a goat, he shall offer it before the Lord. He shall lay his hand on its head, kill it before the tabernacle meeting, and the sons of Aaron shall sprinkle its blood all around the altar. Then he shall offer it from its offering as an offering made by fire to the Lord. That fat that covers the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails, the two kidneys and the fat that is on them by the flank, the fatty lobe attached to the liver above the kidney, he shall remove. The priest shall burn them on the altar as food, an offering made by fire for a sweet aroma. All the fat is the Lord's. 
This shall be a perpetual statute throughout your generations and all your dwellings. You shall eat neither fat nor blood. So this is the peace offering. It comes from the herd, male or female. So now, as opposed to the burnt offering that had to be a male, this can be a male or female. See the distinction? And this is the peace offering. We're told it is the sacrifice of the peace offering in verse 3. And it can be a lamb. It can be a goat. We do see how we would lay our hands on it. So when you bring this particular offering, you'd bring it to the priest, and it's from your flock, and you would lay your hands on it. You're passing your guilt to it. It's the passing of the guilt. And that's why it says with Jesus, the Lord laid upon him the iniquity of us all. God made him who knew no sin to become righteousness for us. So to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. So when Christ was dying on the cross, the Lord, the Father, literally was transferring the sins of humanity over his son and upon his son. That's literally what was happening. We're told that very clearly in New Testament teaching by the Holy Spirit. And then the fat is the Lord's. There's something special about the fat. In the Bible, in the Old Testament, fat is used to describe increase, that you've been prospering, that there's increase, the fat, that there's something about it as opposed to famine, right? Think of Joseph's dream, the, the seven fat cows, healthy cows, eaten by the seven skinny cows. It's, it shows it's a, a reflection of prosperity and well-to-do, that things are going good. When Israel backslid with the Lord, he said that Jeshurun, which is another name for Israel, that he grew fat, like just too fat. In prosperity, he wasn't sharp in the things of the Lord, that he had gotten lost his edge, the nation as a whole, with the Lord. So it's an increase. And we know that the blood, that last verse, verse 17, you're not going to have the blood. We are told in Leviticus later on that the life is in the blood. We never, ever, the blood is, blood is a, a huge no-no. Uh, the life is in the blood. Everything right now, your blood is going through your freeway all over your body, pumping in, out, pumping out, doing everything it's supposed to do with this incredible design, as it's also doing in the animal kingdom as well. The life is in the blood. When God created everything, now we're told in Hebrews 11, 1, that he's 1, 1, and 1, 2, that he spoke everything into existence that wasn't being. So it's not like he had a box of Legos and put them together and made the universe. He spoke out of nothing everything that is. And in speaking it, and the way he set things up with the atom and DNA and all this stuff, the life is in the blood. And when someone's considered guilty, they're guilty of what? Bloodshed or blood. Paul said in Acts 20, I'm innocent of the blood of all men. God said through Ezekiel, if you don't tell them the truth, that blood is on you. But if you tell them the truth and they reject it, it's on them. There's something very powerful in the idea and the concept of the blood. So know this going forward for the rest of your life. The life is in the blood and in the Levitical priesthood, animal sacrifice system, blood is absolutely forbidden. And I see no reason to be involved with blood even now under a covenant of grace. It serves no purpose because the blood, the life is in the blood, and that's why Christ gave his blood, and that's why we're told time and time again in the New Testament that the atonement of our sins is because of the blood of Christ because his blood is not the animal blood. It's not human blood with sin stained, but it's perfect sinless blood because he's born of the Virgin Mary in the Immaculate Conception. That's why it's such a crucial doctrine because that blood, the blood is the blood. It belongs to the Lord. No messing with the blood. This peace offering 
Of course, Jesus is our peace. When Paul was in prison for his faith in the back end of Acts chapter 28, and he wrote the, the prison epistles, as we refer to Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon, he wrote a lot about the blood of Jesus Christ and the necessity of the blood, that it is the blood that saves us. And because the blood saves us, we have peace with God because of the blood of Christ saving us. It's important. So without the blood, there is no peace. And so we go to Romans chapter 5, verse 1. You know, therefore, having justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And there are, of course, many wonderful verses in the New Testament that talk about this. And, for example, in Colossians, where it says, For it pleased the Father that in him Jesus Christ all fullness should dwell, and by him Jesus Christ reconcile things himself. By him, whether things on earth or in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. So it's like the Father has all humanity of every generation laying their hands on the Son, and the guilt is passed to the Son, and he's crucified on the cross. Jesus is our peace, and we have peace with God vertically because Christ's blood shed for us. The life is in the blood, and because his blood was shed, we have peace with God. And because we have peace with God, then we can do as best we can to have peace with humanity and those around us. So Jesus is our peace. And by the way, since everyone's been so unsettled, and it's a time of anxiety and fear, we we should just consider these things. Be anxious for nothing, but through prayer and supplication, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. He will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed upon thee, because he trusts in thee. Jesus said, my peace I leave you, not as the world gives, but give I unto thee peace. He's the Prince of Peace. Now, as Philippians chapter 4 describes a peace. It surpasses understanding. And we do find ourselves in the human experience in anxious situations, apart from anything that's going on on the planet, in our country, or even in our family. We all have anxious, we all have things that cause anxiety. And we don't want to misunderstand that the peace of God means that we don't sense a hurricane all around us because there is a hurricane all around us. But Jesus is our peace as the eye in the eye of the storm, if you understand hurricanes. And by the way, if you've never been through the eye of a hurricane, and I have more than once, it's an amazing thing. Because you have a wind destroying everything. It's an unimaginable experience of weather to watch a hurricane close up, to see 90 mile an hour, 100 mile an hour winds. It's incredible. It's terrifying. It makes a noise like a freight train. It shakes everything. And then when the eye of the hurricane comes over, if you're directly in the eye, it goes dead calm. It's insane. You go from a 100-mile-an-hour wind, and within two minutes, you can have dead calm, and you walk outside. And it's insane. And then about 20 minutes later, depending on how big the eye is, the wind switches the opposite direction, and it's the same thing coming the opposite direction. Jesus is our peace in the eye of the storm. Stay in the eye of the storm. And by the way, the most dangerous place to be in a hurricane is just outside the eye in the inner bands of the storm. That's where the greatest destruction 
generally is, the barometric pressure and how it's working. So the crazy thing is, right where peace is, the, the neighbor of peace and the neighbor of total chaos, they're right next door to each other, and they don't have a fence. So you can have perfect peace with Jesus Christ if he's the eye of the storm, and the moment you just get slightly out of that peace, you're in the most volatile area. And we have stories of Esther bowing before the king to save her people in the eye of a storm. We have stories of Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego being thrown in the fiery furnace, Daniel in the lion's den. We have many, many wonderful stories in the Bible to affirm to us that the people of God need to trust in God. He has not given his spirit of fear, but of love and power and sound mind. And so we need to remember that as we're going into part two of 2020. To be honest, I'm sick and tired of the fear and the anxiety that people have who confess Jesus Christ. There comes a point where you simply have to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. And if we're trusting him to raise us from the grave, we can trust him to see us through the human experience because he's been doing it since the day one of creation. Because he holds all things in his hands. He holds all things in his hands. Do you realize that? If we were left to ourselves, this planet would have been blown up a long time ago. He holds all things in his hands. And this isn't done till he says it's done. And when it is done, it does go boom. Second Peter 3 makes that very clear. The boom's coming. But he'll keep the imperfect peace whose mind is stayed upon thee because he trusts in thee. Now, I feel like we've done a good job trusting in the Lord. I do. And in that perfect peace that surpasses understanding, there is not confusion and there's not chaos. There's not yes and no, no and yes. Men and women and the devil will give you yes and no, no and yes. But Jesus gives you yes, yes. The Father light, there's no shadow of turning. And he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And there's nothing that humanity's facing on this planet right now that this planet and humanity hasn't seen before. Plagues and totalitarian authoritarian governments who seek to take advantage of opportunities because that's what human governments do. So we need to trust in the Lord. We are the church. There comes a time, and if not now, when? Now you're here tonight, and I know I'm talking to the choir, and I know you trust in the Lord. And maybe you're not here tonight. You can't be here tonight. So just as you're watching on live stream, don't think I don't think you're not trusting the Lord because you don't feel comfortable coming out. If you feel comfortable, come. If you don't feel comfortable, come. Don't come. You want to wear a mask? Wear a mask. I'm not going to be moving and living in fear, especially with people that you can't trust. You can't trust who? The World Health Organization. They're liars, and they're Marxist, and there's a good reason we're not supporting them as a country. You can't trust the CDC, because they say one day, wear a mask, don't wear a mask, you don't need a mask, and three days later, say, wear a mask. And if you look at medical professionals, what, how to handle this stuff, you get varying opinions from everybody. And we trust government, how are we going to trust government? Put your trust in the Lord. 
Don't let your peace be based upon who's the governor, the city council, the health department, or the president, or who's running the UN. There comes a time that we have to trust in Jesus, and that's pretty much every day in the Jesus way. The peace offering reminds us that Jesus Christ is our peace in the midst of the storm. And I'm not a medical expert, and I don't claim to be, but I am a Jesus expert, and I've walked with him for 33 years. And I have been taught by him that he'll keep thee in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon thee because he trusts in thee. So if you want to live in fear and kowtow to people who strike fear, that's your business, but don't bring it around me because I fear Jesus Christ and I serve the king. And he's not done with me till he says he's done with me. And he's not done with you till he says he's done with you. The fat is the Lord's, the blood is the Lord's, and he is our peace. Amen. Amen. And that's all I got to say about that. <laughs> Chapter 4, the sin offering. Now the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel if a person sins unintentionally against any of the commandments of the Lord and anything which ought not to be done, and does any of them, if the anointed priest sins, bring guilt upon the people, then let, them, let him offer to the Lord for his sin which he has sinned, a young bull without blemish as a sin offering. He shall bring the bull to the door of the tabernacle of meetings before the Lord, lay his hand on the bull's head, and kill the bull before the Lord. Then the anointed priest shall take some of the bull's blood and bring it to the tabernacle of meeting. The priest shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle some of the blood seven times before the Lord in front of the veil of the sanctuary. And the priest shall put some of the blood on the horns of the altar of the sweet incense before the Lord, which is in the tabernacle of meeting. And he shall pour the remaining blood of the bull at the base of the altar of the burnt offering, which is at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. He shall take from it all the fat of the bull as the sin offering, the fat that covers the entrails and all the fat which is on the entrails, the two kidneys and the fat that's on them by the flanks, the fatty lobe attached to the liver above the kidneys, he shall remove as it was taken from the bull's sacrifice of peace offering, the priest shall burn them on the altar of the burnt offering, but the bull's hide and all of its flesh with its head and its legs and its entrails and offal, the whole bull he shall carry outside the camp to a clean place where the ashes are poured out and burn it on the wood with fire where the ashes are poured out, it shall be burned. Now, if the whole congregation of Israel sins unintentionally and the thing is hidden from the eyes of the assembly and they've done something against any of the commandments of the Lord, anything which should not be done, and are guilty, when the sin which is committed becomes known, then the assembly shall offer a young bull for the sin and bring it before the tabernacle of meeting. And the elders of the congregation shall lay their hands on the head of the bull before the Lord, and the bull shall be killed before the Lord. The anointed priest shall bring some of the bull's blood to the tabernacle of meeting. Then the priest shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle it seven times before the Lord in the front of the veil. And he shall put some of the blood on the horn of the altars, which is before the Lord, which is the tabernacle of meeting. And he shall pour out the remaining blood at the base of the altar of the burnt offering, which is the door of the tabernacle meeting. He shall take all the fat from it and burn it on the altar, and he shall do it with the bull as he did with the bull as a sin offering. Thus he shall do it. So the priest shall make atonement for them, and it shall be forgiven them. Then he shall carry the bull outside the camp and burn it as he's burned the first bull. It is a sin offering for the assembly. When a ruler has sinned and done something unintentionally against any of the commandments of the Lord his God, is in anything which should not be done and is guilty, or if his sin which is committed comes to his knowledge, he shall bring it as an offering, a kid of goats, a male without blemish, and he shall lay his hand on the head of the goat and kill it at the place where to kill the burnt offering before the Lord. It is a sin offering. And the priest shall take some of the blood of the sin offering with his finger, put it on the horns of the altar of the burnt offering, 
pour its blood at the base of the altar of the burnt offering, and he shall burn all of its fat on the altar, like the fat of the sacrifice of the peace offering. So the priest shall make atonement for him concerning sins, and it shall be forgiven him. If any one of the common people sins unintentionally by doing something against any of the commands of the Lord in anything which ought not to be done, and it is guilty, or if his sin which he has committed comes to his knowledge, then he shall bring as an offering a kid of the goats, a female without blemish for his sin which he has committed, and he shall lay his hand on the head of the sin offering and kill the sin offering at the place of the burnt offering. Then the priest shall take some of the blood with his finger, put it on the horns of the altar of the burnt offering, pour out all the remaining blood at the base of the altar. He shall remove all of its fat as a fat is removed from the sacrifice of the peace offering. And the priest shall burn it on the altar for a sweet aroma to the Lord. So the priest shall make atonement for him. It shall be forgiven him. If he brings a lamb as a sin offering, he shall bring a female without blemish. Then he shall lay his hands on the head of the sin offering, kill it as a sin offering at the place where they killed the burnt offering. The priest shall take some of the blood of the sin offering with his fingers, put on the horns of the altar of the burnt offering, pour out all the remaining blood at the base of the altar. He shall remove all of its fat as the fat of the lamb is removed from the sacrifice of the peace offering. Then the priest shall burn it on the altar according to the offering made by fire to the Lord. So the priest shall make atonement for his sin that he has committed and it shall be forgiven him. So here with this fourth offering is the sin offering. And what we see is the variation of people. First of all, it says, if a person sins in verse 2. Then it says in verse 3, if an anointed priest sins. It says in verse 13, if the whole congregation sins. And then verse 22, if a ruler sins. And then in verse 27, if any one of the common people sins. Basically, you get it? We all sin. (laughs) Romans 3.23, all sin and fall short of the glory of God. We all sin. From the common people to the king in the palace, we all sin. We have a sinful nature. We are born with a sinful nature. Now, the trespass offering is right around the corner, but we're all born in sin. And David said it best, I was born a sinner. When I, Psalm 51, I was birthed in sin. We all have a sin nature. Give enough time, we'll sin. We'll rebel. And whether we are aware of that sin or not, it's still sin. And you notice that it says unintentionally. I think it's safe to say most of us here don't wake up on July 7th plotting evil, like how we can sin or rebel against God or rebel against people. And if we do, then we want to be aware of that and, and, and let go of that and not be that person. But this sin offering covers everybody. It shows that everybody is a sinner. But it also shows us, which we were talking on briefly with the peace offering, is that There is forgiveness because it says in verse 21, excuse me, verse 20, it shall be forgiven them. And it says again in verse, the last verse, verse 35, that it is forgiven them. And so again, that we we find forgiveness in Jesus Christ. So all these animal sacrifices, if we just picture for a moment, all the animal sacrifices that took place for 1,500 years, wherever the tabernacle was in Shiloh and then in Jerusalem, the temple and all that, All of it, all of it's pointing to Christ. And there at Calvary, this is perfectly fulfilled. God so loved the world, God so loved the world that he gave his son. And he paid the price for the sins. So from the common people to the kings and presidents of palaces or whatever. And you know, because we live in our timeline and we think everything's just our timeline, 
But of course, there's history before us. And if the Lord tarries, there's history coming in the future after us. But I always remember an article I read about Ronald Reagan, the president, when he's in his 90s with Alzheimer's, that he was waving to people, taking out the trash. And it was very sad because he didn't even know who he was. Ronald Reagan did not know he was Ronald Reagan, the former president of the United States. That is very humbling to think that that can happen in the human experience with Alzheimer's, dementia, that kind of stuff. But that just shows you, you can be the most powerful man in the world in the 80s. And you can work with Gorbachev to bring down the Iron Curtain and change the world for everybody that we all benefit from to this day. And then there comes a day, if you live long enough, you don't even know who you are. You're taking out the trash. You don't even know you're the president of the United States. You don't even know the terrorists you fought or the evil people you stared down. We are all sinners, from the youngest to the oldest, from the highest palace to the common man. We all need the Savior, Jesus Christ. And by the way, it wasn't that Billy Graham's great mark of his ministry. He could minister to the common people of every nation on this planet, and he could minister to the kings in the palaces. All kings, not just presidents, but all kings. It's amazing, because all have sinned, and all need to find forgiveness, and we only find that forgiveness in Jesus.